So we got um, almost 20 years of pastoral ministry and uh, in the midst of some transition in our life. And um, what I tell people is I don't have a clue what the future holds. Um, I know what I hope, <laughs> what I desire and where we're going, but we're trying to figure out a, a new and fresh season uh, in our life. And so we've connected in here uh, for a little while. And so I we'll, um, was glad to be able to see my uh, two older girls, I have four kids, my two older girls head back or head up and, and help this weekend, Paul asked, and I strongly encouraged and then backed off and said, Paul, you got to encourage, you know, you know, teenagers, right? So all of that, you can't push too hard as a parent, but um, today's, uh, what I want to talk today, uh, I, I should mention is, you know, if, if uh, for anyone that might uh, heard me speak before, there might be some things coming out that you've heard before, so um, it was kind of a bit of a last minute Paul asked, and so I pulled some things and put a couple things together, um, but something that's kind of close to me and, and also experiencing in my own life, uh, once again, it seems, um, as I, I journey with, with where we are at, and uh, today I'm going to look at, um, share a story out of Numbers chapter 13 and Matthew chapter 25, a, a Jesus story of um, the parable of the talents, and, uh, and then just kind of pull out some, a couple of observations. I hope to leave you with some things to think about, uh, to be able to encourage you as well to, there's two questions I'll ask near the end. Um, those would be great over lunch, to be able to talk with your family or, who, or who's ever uh, there for lunch. If no one's there for lunch, in, invite somebody for lunch. And, you know, or over for coffee later in the week or, you know, meet in a park somewhere. But uh, I'd encourage you to just kind of, my hope is to go, here you go. And then you can go and just think about it and reflect on it throughout the week. Talk about it as a family and where you see yourself in the midst of the story as an individual and, 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 and your own journey with God in the midst of that. Because we are, we go through seasons. And each season, sometimes it feels like we're just repeating the last season. But their story is going to remind us God's with us and, and God believes uh, in, in us. So our story, I'm, I'm going to... Uh, paraphrase the stories for us today. So you're going to have to just kind of put your imagination on for a little bit, and I'm going to do the best to draw us in into that. But in, in Numbers chapter 13, we come to this very special moment. Uh, the ancient Israelites have come to what, it, what is the, the Bible calls the, the promised land. It's literally like in your imagination, I'll come, I don't know, with a camera, but there's the stage here, and you're literally on the, on, on the edge so picture yourself in the midst of that moment. You're on the edge, you're teetering, you're, you're almost into the promised land, whatever that might mean for, for yourself or your season that you're in. For, for the ancient Israelites, here's what it meant. If you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 12, God, there's this dude named Abraham. And God goes, hey, Abraham, follow me. Okay, Abraham's not really sure. He's kind of just getting to know God, doesn't really know all of, you know, what it means. And he says, follow me and I'll, I'll make you into a great nation. You know, as many grains on the beach, your nation will be greater. Your family will be greater. Now, how is he supposed to imagine that? Because it's him. Oh, and, and just, just to top it off, he's literally like, hey, you see the mountains over there? Just walk towards those mountains. Go, where am I supposed to go? That way. Well, where do I turn? Just, just go that way. Start walking. 
out, out of all of that, he, he, he takes them close, near the promised land. He shows them what the land will look like because of circumstances stuff happens, right? Like a famine comes on. And, and so by that point, Abraham's family, it's, it's grown. And there's numbers, there's great-grandchildren. And, and they, they head off to Egypt. There's a whole story you can read about how this happened. But, but they get to Egypt because they got to provide for their family. And like the rest of us, we're trying to make the best decision we can make in the midst of the moment with the knowledge and the resources we have. And that seems like the best option. They can help us. Oh, and by the way, there's a whole God story of behind it, of God providing for them and God taking care of them. But then because life happens, they be, they're enslaved. And we read about this in the book of Exodus and about how they're, they're, they're enslaved. And, and the book of Exodus is literally the exodus from slavery to this moment in Numbers chapter 13 when they are standing on the promised land. And there's lots of stuff going on in between, by the way. Just, just as a bit of a reminder of the incredible story that happened in this moment, or maybe this is what you're going to hear for the first time. So they're slaves. Just imagine all the, like how you view yourself. For 400 years, every generation has been told you're nothing. We will tell you what to do. Where to work. In the book of Exodus, because of some circumstances, because this dude named Moses comes along and says, free my people. God raises him up, calls out the nation of Israel, the Hebrews, out of Egypt. There's this fight between the Pharaoh. Pharaoh doesn't like Moses by this point. So he just makes it harder for the people, these slaves, to do work. You know those moments when you ask the question, could life get any worse? Well, it did. Those moments when you, you feel you, you don't have options. And the obstacles that are in front of you are huge. And you just, you feel the weight. And then someone dumps more weight on you. And as you follow their story, they're freed. And, and we learn in the book of Exodus that, that God defeated the gods of Egypt. Just imagine the pride that's going on in the midst of that moment. But it's hard to see because I think they were probably more confused, though they're watching all these miracles take place and seeing the defeat of, of the ancient, these, these Egyptian gods and, and, and Yahweh has succeeded and now they're leaving and their slave masters are like, get out, they're giving them things, trying to push them out. By the way, that whole, like, when you read in the Exodus when they're giving them stuff, that's part of God's provision for them because literally they don't have much. They're called, leave your home. Think of Abraham again, go that way. There's no plan. God just taken them. And off they go into a new season that begins. And as they're journeying in this season, we read a little later, is they get to this wonderful beach. You know, I, may, I don't know if it's like ours, but they, we, you might know the story. We call it the Red Sea. And they, they get to this moment, they're free. Some of them are still complaining even as they're leaving. But they, they, they get there and they, they're standing there having dinner by the beach and notice some dust and, and there's this army, the Pharaoh's army coming down. And they got no way to cross this. And so the choice is death or death. They do not see an option. There's death in front of them, there's death behind them. Where are they to go? What are they to do? Maybe they should just go back to Egypt. Forget about this promised land and all that God said he did. Because does God really see the army coming down? Because here we are, Jesus, or God, we know what's going on, but, but, but God had promised he would take them to the promised land, to that point, that, that moment. He would take them there. 
And then something incredible happens. There's this pillar of fire that comes down. No one ever seen anything like this. And they have this incredible experience, and it holds back the army. And something happens, you know, you know if you're like someone in the crowd that's kind of in the midst of all the people, all of a sudden you see Moses, you see the leaders arguing and trying to figure out what to do and freaking out. I'd probably be freaking out. But they're, they're there, and they, all of a sudden the sea opens, this river opens, and, and, and they're told to, to walk across. And then when they get across, the water comes down, the army's defeated. So they experience the, the power of God. They set up rocks because we need reminders in our life. So they set up these, these, these markers. God did something. We all have them in our life. But when we're between death and death, sometimes we forget about those markers. And those markers are there. I'm sure, sure they're, they're in the life of this church. We need to share those stories. Because those are the moments where God was there. God worked. We need to be reminded. So they, they get through that. This is the history. When they, before they get to this moment, as they're, they're journeying to that moment, they, they discover, I'm kind of hungry. Not a lot grows in the desert. And God provides for them. They've experienced all of this. And they, they get to the promised land. In Exodus, God said, I'm going to free you. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And you're going to conquer the land. So they send tens, in, in Numbers chapter 13, they're instructed to send spies. There's 12 spies, 12 significant in the Bible, 12 tribes. They off, off to go 12 disciples in the New Testament. They go into the promised land, just, just 12 of them. And the goal is to do some reconnaissance. They're, they're to go in there and they're to check out everything. Find out what the land's like, because this is what God's calling them to through their history. And really, when you read the book of Numbers, there's a couple of themes that keep coming up in the book of Numbers. And one of the things that God is doing is he's trying to, to reshape the culture and the identity of these people. Because they were slaves. They thought like slaves. They didn't think they were anybody. And now he's saying, no, you're mine. You're children of God. I'm going to take you to the promised land. You can accomplish this. He's created them. He's given them gifts and skills and knowledge and power. And he's trying to shift them in their identity. Jesus talks about the same thing. I've, I've taken you from the kingdom of darkness to the, the kingdom of light. Much of the stories of the scriptures talk about our identity and, and who we are. And you will see constantly they are struggling with that. Maybe we should just go back to being slaves. We've all been there. And so they send these slaves, or sorry, they send these 12 tri uh, men in, they check out the land, and it's amazing. You know, the, the, the scriptures, the, the God talked about to Abraham how the, the land would be flowing with milk and honey. It's not that it's literally flowing, you know, like rivers of milk or honey. It's, it's, it, these are language that talk about the, the flourishing and the abundance of the land, the opportunity that exists and this is what God is going to give them and calling them to. And so they go into that land, they watch the people, they look at the cities, they look at the fruit. 
You know, I remember as a kid some of the cartoons that were developed around some of this, this moment. And I don't know if it's true or not, but, you know, they're carrying these in the cartoons. So just remember, it's a cartoon trying to teach me as a child about, about this story. But, but I always remember some of the cartoons watching the, you know, these, these men carrying these fruit that was bigger than their bodies. And I don't know if that was true. But again, it's just, it's trying to teach us the abundance and the opportunity that this meant for the people. I want to read for you in Numbers chapter 13. I'm going to start at verse 30 and go down to verse 33. I want, I want to read for you the response of these 12 that come back. Remember all that God's done, all the hope that is ahead of them. Some of you know the story, so you know what's coming. But Caleb, Caleb was one of the readers, verse 30. Caleb says this. He, he quiets down the crowd because the, the 12 have come back. They're all sharing what's going on. But Caleb tried to quiet the people as they, they stood before Moses. Let's go at once and take, to take the land, he said. We certainly can conquer it. So he's excited. He totally believes they can do this. There's another guy that was with him as well. But verse 31, but the other men, that's the, other, that's the 10, who had explored the land with him disagreed. We, 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 we cannot go up against them. They're stronger than we are. Verse 32, so they spread this bad report about the land amongst, among the Israelites. The land we traveled through and explored, it will devour anyone who goes to live there. Just feel the emotion of that. All the people we saw were huge. Verse 33, we even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. They, next to them, this is important, we felt like grasshoppers, and that's what we thought too. Verse 33 is a key to understanding what's going on in the midst of their journey as a people and individuals, and let's face it, we've probably all felt like grasshoppers amongst giants in the midst of our journey. God had been preparing them for this moment, and teaching and promising and leading. Was life easy? Nope. It was hard. And God wasn't even going to just give them the, the, the promised land. They had to conquer it. But God had said, you're going to conquer it. Caleb was like, hey, we can totally do this. Let's get going. Why wait till tomorrow? Let's go now. The other ten are like, I don't know about this. And so they spread and gathered a group around them of negativity, and it catches. Notice how negativity catches in the midst of our communities, our families. Have you ever felt like a grasshopper among, among giants? And when, when challenges come, we, we get down on ourselves. We can feel horrible when that darkness kind of comes in the midst of our life. We, we get fog in the midst of our minds and we don't see opportunity or options. See, here's one of the things I've learned in life. As long as we see ourselves as grasshoppers among giants, we set ourselves up for failure. As long as we see ourselves as grasshoppers amongst giants, we set ourselves up for failure. This wasn't who God had called them to be. I don't actually think he cared they were grasshoppers, by the way. Let me share one more story. 
In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus says this. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like. One of his common stories, if you've been around, you've heard this. Matthew 25, verse 14 to 30. Again, for time's sake, I'll, I'll, re, I'll just refrain, or share the story. Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like this. There's a master who goes away. And when he goes away, he entrusts three of his servants with part of his resources. He gives them each a certain amount of money. One is given more than the rest. Then you kind of got the middle guy. And then you got a guy who's given the least amongst all of them. Now, often as a culture today, because of where we are, we're asking, well, why does he get two and he gets ten? Why, why don't they all get the same? Because in the, the Jesus shares in the context, he says, he gave according to their ability. Because the guy who got five couldn't handle the ten. But the master knew what they could handle, knew what they were, they were able and, and created for, and so he gave them what they could handle and grow it and succeed at it. And then he went on his trip. Who knows how long it was? Jesus says he comes back and he wants an account of how did you manage the resources that I gave you? Uh, by the way, out of some of this thinking comes this term steward. You don't, you don't hear the word stewardship a lot around in our culture. It's, very, it's a very churchy word. But this is where some of that comes, this idea, just as we read in, Genesis, in the book of Genesis, when God had Adam and Eve and, and entrusted them with the, the garden. It's, it's, we see some similar things. God's entrusted us. Just as in, the, in Numbers 13, God, we're, we're in, in the story of Numbers and Exodus, God entrusted the ancient Israelites with resources and a goal and a mission and a vision. And so the, in, in the story of, of, of Matthew 25, the first servant's like, look, I doubled your money, and the master's happy and thankful and gets invited in. The second one's the same. The third one, see, the third one didn't believe the master. When the master's like, man, you can handle this money. I'm going to give you this. You, you can do this. So I'm going to entrust this with you. And, and the third one's like, you know what, I don't really think so. And I think you're just going to hurt me if I don't handle this well. So I'm going to bury it in the ground because I might lose it. And at least I can give that back to you. The master's not happy about that when he comes back. The master says, at the very least, you could have put it in a bank. It would have earned some interest. And so things don't go well for, well for that. And Jesus uses the story to teach us some things about who we are and who he is and how we are to live. I think both of these stories uh, I share because both of them in different ways, but the commonality is they, they help us understand what God believes about us and what we're capable of and who he's calling us to be. Because in the midst of like COVID and the world falling apart still, and for some in a tougher season than others, we can feel like grasshoppers amongst giants. And what happens in the midst of those darkness is there's a thought pattern that starts to develop that we start thinking like slaves that we're nobody and we can't accomplish this and we can't move forward and we forget who God is and what, who we are. And so I want to share just, a, just three things that I think are, are some options of, of, of what do we do when we feel like grasshoppers among giants in the midst of our journey. Because here's the thing, I don't want to be like the Israelites. It's easy for us, by the way, to look on them and pick on them. But we'll probably find ourselves more like them than we want to admit. But I don't want to get to the promised land, whatever that might mean, for this season of my life, 
and miss out. Because I've allowed fear instead of what God believes and who I am and who he's declared me to be. And so how do we deal with this grasshopper syndrome in a sense? Well, the first one is this, is, is we, we have to remember the words of God and what he says about us. We need to go back to, you know, we sang, we sang the songs, all the songs we sang today had, had, were, were filled with scriptures about declarations about who God is and, and who we are. We, we go back to, we need the community to, to remind us sometimes when we're in the midst of the cycle of the negative talk, hey, no, no, this is what the scriptures say of who you are. This is, this is how God views you and understands you. See, God believed they were able to take the promised land. The master in Jesus' story believed they were able to manage and take care of the farm that he had entrusted them with. But we get so hung up on what we've lost, what other people have, what other people think, what we don't have. The pain that we might experience. We get intimidated by the obstacles. And the darkness blinds us to options. You know, the Israelites, they already had God's favor. They don't have to work for it. God was already with them. New Testament teaches the same thing. For God so loved the world, he already loved us. He sent his son that we would have life to the fullest. And yet we see when they, when they get to the promised land, a refusal to believe in who God said they were. It's fear that stopped them. And they had to go wander in the desert And that generation never got to move forward. God said, fine, go. God still worked on them, by the way. You got to read the rest of the story. But they did miss out. That makes me a little fearful in life. I know God doesn't give up on us when we make (coughs) bad choices. Choices that aren't leading in the direction. He won't give up on us. But we do miss out. But he still loves us. He's still shaping. He's still forming us. And so when we feel like grasshoppers amongst giants, the way that we can get through some of that is remembering what he says about who we are. The second thing is this, because we see it in the, in the text, I think even in, in Matthew's passage, um, is don't let your emotions be mistaken for objective truth. Don't let emotion be mistaken for objective truth. Trust me, emotions are important. And I'm not saying, I am not saying ignore your emotions. Put them in a box, shove them down, and let, leave them alone. That's not what I'm saying. Emotions are very important. But we need to understand them. Why, when I'm standing on the edge, looking at the giants in the promised land, why am I fearful? What is that telling me about myself? What I'm believing about myself. What is that telling me about what I'm believing about God? Is that true? See, these are the things that we have to, we have to wrestle with. I think emotions are very important because they're telling us something. Why, why am I angry in this moment? Well, because this person 
did this. But why? Why does that act make you angry? See, I'm convinced that as we understand who we are, who we are, we actually can draw closer to Christ. You know, when my kids do that, why am I angry? Let's face it, parents, because they just interrupted our life. Right? Most of the time I get angry at my kids, they interrupted my life. Hey, they, you know, do dumb things just like I did dumb things as a kid too. We still love them. But we need to understand the emotion that we're feeling and what these men who are at the, who came back and what the community needed to ask is, why are you afraid? What, what are you not believing about who God is and what he says about you and who he's called us to be? And as we start to understand that, by the way, as soon as you start naming fear, it loses its power. As soon as you start naming those struggles and then you move on. So here, let me, let me move on for, to the third one. When we, when we start to feel like grasshoppers amongst giants, here's the last one. Is we, we need to remember who God is. All these are interconnected. Remember who God is. Now, years ago, I, I came across a, a gentleman named Caesar uh, Kalinowski. That is probably not how you pronounce his name. That's how I did. <laughs> but he runs a podcast today called um, Everyday Disciple. So if you're looking for a new podcast, Everyday Disciple is a great podcast. And, and years ago, him and some other groups that he was part of came up with what I, I, which I learned from him was known as the four G's. And what he says is, is there's, there's four characteristics about God that often most of our challenges come from because we, we, we are not believing these things about God. And, and the first one is this. He says we, we forget that God is in control. And if God is in control, what that means is we don't have to be in control. Now that doesn't mean we just sit back and whatever happens, happens. That's not what it's talking about. But it means we understand there's a bigger picture going on here. And I struggle like the rest of you that when, when the scriptures say that, that God's going to lead us, because I'm standing in front of the giant. So where are you, Jesus? And, the, and, and this challenge of God's in control, that's, I'm struggling with that in those moments. Because that's what's, what's happening when they're on the edge. Is God really in control? Does he really know what's going on? And so we have this choice to say, okay, Lord, I'm going to trust you, and I'm going to make the best decision I can based on the information I have, and I'm going to step out. The the second is this, is, is God is glorious. And when you hear the word glorious, think of weight. God is glorious, and so we don't have to fear others. What God has to say is how I'm going to live instead of the fearing how others are viewing me and what they are saying. Man, I have struggled with that for way too long in my life. Even after things have been settled, you still hear those, ne- those voices of what other people think. Even after you, know, you, you get proper praise, you still fear and struggle with that one statement. But God has said, this is who you are. Walk forward. The second thing that he says is, or the third character is God is good. And so we don't have to look elsewhere. So that's what happened on the edge. They went, ah, let's go over here. <laughs> we don't really think, God, you got our best interest. We're, we're going to leave. God is, so God is great. God is glorious. God is good. And God is gracious. 
so we don't have to prove ourselves. God is gracious so we don't have to prove ourselves. So let me ask you these two questions. You might want to write these down. Remember, these are the ones you're going to talk about over lunch and throughout the week. Here's the first one. What limiting thinking is holding you back? What limiting thinking is holding you back? And just in case, like, hey, isn't that like some psychological thing and something from our culture and not scripture? Well, think about the guy who buried the stuff in the, in the dirt. He had limited thinking. I'm convinced that the ten, the ten uh, spies that went into the promised land had limited thinking. Because Caleb's thinking was way bigger. Second question is this. What character of God do you need to live in today? We talked about four characters of God. God is great, glorious, good, and gracious. What character of God do you need to live in today? You need to grab a hold of because you're like, I am struggling in that area. See, this is why you need to talk about it in community, by the way, because God's created us to be in community and made the community be there to, to support us. So you need a coffee buddy. Or a foxhole buddy, to use an older old term. To journey through life. And yep, I get the challenge of all of that. What's the limiting thinking you're holding on to? What's the character of God do you need to live today? I'm not convinced that we, I'm not calling us to be a, a group of people that psych ourselves up, think we're superhuman and superman or superwoman. I think we need to admit our limitations. See, here's the thing about the grasshoppers. God didn't care. God, they're like, we're just a bunch of grasshoppers amongst giants. So what's the problem? Because here's what's going to happen. Either God's going to transform the grasshopper into something incredible to take the con and conquer the new land. Or he is going to blow our minds and take a grasshopper and take out giants. He doesn't care. This is who I made you. This is who you are. This is who I am. This is what I'm going to do. Let's get going. And that's who he's calling us to. So I want to challenge us as a church. Man, there's no better time for us to rise up and to follow, to remember who we are. Hey, trust me, I know all the challenges. And I know for some of us the challenges are bigger. But we have an incredible opportunity as a church to be a voice in our community, to be known for love, to start businesses that are, are, are based with the values of Christ that are transforming our world, that are changing the workplace. We need artists to rise up and to serve and remind us about beauty and life and make us think. Because God has called us to great things. And he's entrusted us with. So whatever you've been entrusted with for this season, church, how are you going to manage it? And don't worry about what the guy on the other side of the church has. Just manage what you got. And flourish. I'll wrap up with this. John 10.10 10 says this. Jesus says this. I came that you would have life and life to the fullest. That we would flourish. That is God's vision for us.
I understand flourishing can be a little different for all of us. But whatever it is for you in the midst of that moment, the season you're in, flourish in this season. Figure it out. What's it look, what's it look like? Because God is with you. God loves you. You're a child of God. You have something to give. Be a change agent for one person, for the community around you. Invest in one person. Serve in this church. We could go through lots of scriptures that talk about the giftings and who we are, but be wise. Don't be unwise. Ephesians 5 speaks to that. Make the most of every opportunity that you have today. So, I'll leave this and then I'll, I'll um, pass, pass it over. Where do you need to realign your life today? With God's view of yourself and who God is. Where do you need to realign? With how God sees who you are. Minister your life. Take some of that and go and talk over lunch or supper. Invite somebody over. If you're like, but I don't have coffee, I don't even like coffee, or I don't have tea, or I don't have anything, and you probably got water coming out of the tap. So get a cup, fill it with water, and give the other person water, and just talk. Go through the scriptures together. And encourage you to be who God has created you to be. Because there's so much that you're capable of. Thank you. Let's pray. God, it is so easy for us to focus on the giants around us and to feel small. And what Matthew shared with us, he's right. This past couple of years, it seems like the giants are running at us 100 miles an hour and there's just no end to them. We sang earlier this morning that you are a solid rock, a sure foundation. So in the midst of giants hurtling at us 100 miles an hour, we don't have to feel like grasshoppers because you're already bigger than all of that. Holy Spirit, enlighten our imaginations as we look in the community around us. What are the things that you have for this community of new life to conquer in your name? Where do we need to be light? Where do we need to introduce the God of big things to? And give us boldness and obedience and a feeling of sureness under our feet to go and do. Thanks for being with us this morning. Just a couple of announcements as you go. We'll get to hear from Matthew again a little bit later this summer in July. So we look forward to that. Um, as you were coming in this morning, you may have noticed a bunch of these things on our Connection Center out in the lobby. 
an opportunity that we have next Sunday as we meet outside at 10 a.m. and then follow that with a picnic lunch is to invite this great big neighborhood that has been slowly building behind us these last few years. So we've divided that neighborhood up into six walking routes, and we would love to have some folks sign up this morning to take a batch of these and just to pop around, hang them on the, the door handles of, uh, of routes that you sign up for, and invite our neighbors to come and share next Sunday outdoors with us. If you'd like to give financially this morning, um, you can do that online. There's also a box at the back. We appreciate your generous giving. It enables us to do things like this and send kids to camp and, and so much more. So we appreciate your generosity and your faithfulness in that. Have a wonderful week, everybody. We'll see you next Sunday morning. We hope, weather permitting, outside on the lawn for our outdoor service. Bye for now.